Hi there, it's Gregory Dickow, and thanks so much for listening to this podcast and for joining me from all over the world. I'm so thankful. And you know, I'm on a mission to see 30 million souls saved and lives transformed in the next several years. So many people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. Others have never heard the gospel because they're blind or they don't know how to read. They're in a third world country. That's why we started the Harvest Fund. And through your financial support, we are putting audio Bibles in the hands of precious people who have been minimized by society, all because they just can't read. We're making a difference and you are part of that. To sow a seed into the Harvest Fund or to see all we're accomplishing, visit harvestfund.org. You and I are making a difference together. One can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. Thank you so much and God bless. Welcome to the Gregory Dickow Podcast. Last week, I, I talked to you about um, what was it, you know, what it looks like to believe. Talk to you about what it looks like to believe. And today I want to pick up from there and, and build on that. And, and today's teaching is simply entitled Faith Rests. Faith Rests. Faith Rests. So if we build on what we talked about last time when we were here for our Bible study, you remember that we said this is what it looks like to believe. And I talked about the the Syrophoenician woman, the the Canaanite woman that that went and she wasn't even a Jewish person. She didn't have any right to the covenant, the old covenant. And yet she went to Jesus and said, my daughter is demon possessed. Heal her, come and heal her. And and uh, and he didn't answer her a word. And she had persistent faith in the goodness of God. She believed in the grace of God that she that she couldn't get that miracle because she deserved it. But she was going to get that miracle because of God's grace. And she believed when she had silence, when when heaven didn't answer her a word, when when heaven was silent, she she believed anyway and she didn't give up because you don't give up on believing God when you understand his nature, when you understand that God is good, there's no reason to stop believing. Do you understand the reason people quit on their faith is because they have a wrong concept of God. Because if you really understand his nature, that he is so good, that he is good all the time, that he does us good all the time, that he turns the bad into good, he turns the night into day, he turns our sorrow into rejoicing, he turns death into life, he turns fear into faith, he's he's the turnaround king. And when you know how good he is and that he that he wants to do that for you, that he loves doing you good and that he is good, then you'll never stop believing in his goodness, you'll never stop believing him. You'll, you won't give up on your faith because your faith isn't in your persistence, but your faith is in God's goodness. Boy, it's liberating when you realize that is that the goodness of God, the nature of God, his nature is so important that we understand his nature, because when you understand his nature, then you have confidence and you don't give up. You don't grow weary when you understand God's nature. You grow weary when you struggle in your own strength and your own intellect and lean on your own understanding. That's when you struggle. That's when you grow weary. That's when you feel like giving up. But when your trust is in the power of God, then there's nothing to get weary about because God's power 
is al always going to prevail over your problem. OK, it's really simple faith. It's really simply trusting God. Life is all about trusting God. So I've got this scripture that I really love and I want to show share it with you. It's in first Corinthians, chapter two, verse five. So I want to share this word with you called faith rests, faith rests. Everybody say that faith rests. So what does it look like to believe? Well, it looks like rest. It looks like rest. Well, um, and rest isn't just going on a vacation or having a break or, you know, having a cup of coffee and just sitting back. Rest is something way better than that, way bigger than that, way more powerful and more forceful than that. And I'll, and I'll get into that in a moment. But but look, um, I want you to see this other face of faith. It's the face of faith. What does faith look like? What does believing look like? Does it look like struggling and striving and I'm so strong and I've never I'll never give up? No, it doesn't look like that. What is the face of faith since we've been talking about what does believing look like? Here's what believing looks like. Here's what it looks like to believe. So what is the face of faith? What is what does what do, what is the appearance of faith? What does it look like? Well, here's another picture of what it looks like. It looks like rest. It looks like peaceful confidence not straining at the oars. Let me let me before I get into first Corinthians, what do I mean by straining at the oars? Look in Mark, chapter six, verse Mark, chapter six. Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples were struggling. They remember they were rowing all night and they got about halfway across the lake and they were out of strength. They were being overtaken by a storm. They were about to drown. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And here in Mark, chapter um, here in Mark, chapter six, verse forty eight. Look at what it says there. Look at what it says. Mark, chapter six, verse forty eight. And there he came. It says, look, um, I'll just read it here from the New American. I'm in the New American Standard Bible, by the way. And seeing them straining at the oars. Look at what he says there and seeing them straining at the oars. They were rowing and straining so much that it wasn't working for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the water and intended to pass by them. And when they saw him walking on the water, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were greatly astonished for they had not. Look, I want you to see something. What Jesus did first, he spoke to them. Take courage. It is I do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and then the wind stopped and they were greatly amazed or greatly astonished. And I want you to see this because there's something very powerful about the presence of God in our lives that in God's presence, we don't have to keep straining at the oars in God's when God's presence is with us. He shows up and they didn't have to strain anymore. He shows up and they didn't have to struggle anymore. He shows up and they didn't have to fight the wind anymore. You see, God's presence was the solution for all of their struggling and all of their straining and just being in his presence and his presence being with them when he got in the boat 
They were able to rest. They were able to stop the struggling. They were able to stop all of the straining at the oars. That's what faith looks like. It rests. It's not a struggle. It's not constantly battling. It's not battling the devil because he's already been defeated. It's not battling you know, life. It's not battling people. It's not battling other Christians. It's not battling sinners. It's not battling demons. The Bible says cast them out. The Bible says tread upon serpents and scorpions. It doesn't say it's a struggle. Does does treading on a bug really seem like a struggle to you? I mean, I know uh, some people are like afraid of bugs at my house, but I'm just saying, (laughs) Dad, can you come in here? Why? Uh, There's a spider. My daughter said that a month ago. Not Olivia. But anyway, (laughs) I'm like, kill it yourself. You are. And I've told the kids as they were growing up, you guys are uh, 10 times. You're 100. You're a thousand times. You're a million times bigger than that bug. Just step on it. That's the kind of authority you have over the devil. That's the authority you have. Luke 10, 19, you should tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you, hurt you or injure you. And it's a pretty powerful promise when you think about it. It's, it's amazing. But so people say, well, no, don't don't think that that's cocky. That's arrogant to think you have that much authority. We don't think we have that. Author- we don't think we have that authority because we're arrogant. We have that authority because Jesus gave it to us. That's humility to accept what God says and accept what God gives. It's not pride to accept his gifts. It's not pride to accept his authority. He's given it to you. Really, he's given it to you whether you accept it or not. It's really up to you to use it. It's it's yours. The moment you're born again, you have authority over the devil. But you don't you don't exercise that authority because of ignorance or because you're trying to be humble, which is false humility, because to truly be humble is to resist and submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. James chapter four, verse seven says, right? So. So but here, here's where I'm going with this, is that if you're like me, you've struggled a lot, you failed a lot, you've messed up a lot. Can I get an amen on that? Don't amen me. Amen yourself. You've struggled a lot. You've You've messed up a lot and it's easy to get tired from the struggle. But the truth is we shouldn't have to fight and claw to overcome sin, to experience God's love or to get God to keep his promises. We shouldn't have to fight for those things. That's what God's grace is all about. Nothing we do or haven't done can change what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, let me tell you a fact. It is a fact. This is a fact. God is committed to keeping his promises to you no matter how far you've fallen, how often you failed or where you're at in life. Do you understand what I just said? God is committed to keeping his promises to you in spite of you, not because of you. God doesn't keep his promise to you because of you. God keeps his promise to you because of him. He keeps his promise because he's faithful. He doesn't keep his promise because you're faithful. 
It's better for you to be faithful than unfaithful. But God doesn't keep his promise to you because of your faithfulness. I know that that smacks in the face of religious false teaching that that tries to get us man centered and works centered and humanistic, humanistically centered in the sense that man is so powerful that he can earn God's faithfulness. Man is not powerful enough to earn God's faithfulness. God is powerful enough to be faithful in spite of our faithlessness. And this is what faith looks like. Faith looks like, wow, my trust is in God's power and in his faithfulness, not in my faith. Okay, does this make sense so far? God doesn't need our holiness to prove his holiness. He doesn't need our promises to keep his promises. Look, this is what is the most frustrating thing that I find that Christians struggle with is that we're constantly making promises to God. Oh, I promise you, God, I'm going to do better. I promise you I'm going to stop sinning. I promise you, God, I'm going to pray every day. You make these promises to God as if somehow God is like checking the box. Oh, you're good. Good job. Good job. No, it's not a good job because you don't keep most of those. And thank God that he doesn't keep his promise to us based on our promises to him. He is watching over his word to perform it, that God is faithful, that he who began a good work in you will fulfill it until the day of Christ Jesus. Faithful is he who started it and he will do it. I mean, you can't you can't read the Bible and find anywhere where our faithfulness earns God's faithfulness. You can't find it. You know why? Because it's not in there. There's nothing about our faithfulness that got that that caught triggers God's faithfulness. You know what triggers God's faithfulness? God's faithfulness. You know what triggers God's faithfulness? The morning comes and the Bible says uh, his loving kindness and his mercy are new every morning. His faithfulness never comes to an end. What are we what, what should that do? in your heart. What should that do in your life? It should bring you rest. It should bring you calm. It should bring you confidence. It should put your mind at ease. And that's what that's where the trouble is, is when your mind is not at ease, when your mind is not on the right things, you get you you get troubled and anxious and nervous and worried and you start trying to make all these promises to God. And then you tell him you're going to pray every day for an hour. And that's boy, you know, if you're going to make a promise, promise to pray for a minute. Lord, I'm going to pray every day for a minute, because at least that's one you can keep. <laughs> Even that as soon as you start praying, you're like, oh, man, I, I got to go. Can't wait one minute. And then you're like, OK, God, I didn't I know I fell back to sleep, but tomorrow I'm going two hours to make up for yesterday. And if you if you keep doing your accounting like that, you know, you're going to be at, you're going to be in such a negative deficit of promises made and promises, promises made and promises failed. Right. Versus God's track record is promise made, promise kept every one of them. Not one of his promises. First Kings five, first Kings eight fifty six says not one of his good promises did he fail to keep. Wow. I just tell you, man, this will give you peace. See, it's all about his faithfulness, It's all about God's character that causes you to believe. 
and it makes faith easy rather than a struggle. So this is why I brought you to um, 1 Corinthians 2, 5. It says, look at what he says here. 1 Corinthians 2, 5. Um, and we're going to build on this next next time more deeply because we're going to get into the power, what the power of God is. But he says uh, my message in verse four and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, notice what he says, that your faith would not rest. Now, there are other translations that use other words for this word rest. But the accurate translation that I think the most accurate translation is the word rest, that your faith would not rest. Other translations use the word stand, that your faith would not stand on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You can use the word stand, but I like the word rest. I think it's I think it is the most accurate word. And and I've studied this word. I will get into it in a moment. But I want you to know that this kind of rest has nothing to do with you just taking a break from work and activity. It's not a it's not a laziness that a person that doesn't work. It's not that kind of rest, which really doesn't give you rest anyway. But it has everything to do with trusting God as your source and relaxing your hold on fear, relaxing your hold on. I've got to be anxious. I got to be nervous, like relaxing your hold on life because you find your confidence in the power of God, not in your power, not in your power to perform, but in God's power to perform his promise. He's the performer. We don't have to perform. Uh, Jeremiah 112 says that um, for he is watching over his word to perform it, to perform it. So it's not about me. He's not watching over my performance. He's watching over his word to perform it. Boy, that should bring you peace. It should bring you rest. But back in verse five, he says that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, in the power of God. Um, Now, a quick study of this word rest here is amazing what you'll find in the Greek language and the or, or the Aramaic language, whatever, you know, however you want to def- define what the original language was more Greek here. But um, this word rest actually means and I, I, I had to look multiple times because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then I started to just let let it gel and come together in my mind and in my heart. And this word rest means I am. It, it literally comes from the Greek word that is translated as I am or. To exist, I am or to exist. So if you put if you put it in that in in that context of what this word actually means, that your faith, it exists. Your faith is. Because of the power of God, your faith is because of the power of God, your faith exists because of the power of God. I am. It's almost like 
That's one of God's names. I am. And then Paul says, I am that I am. And and um, and Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, I am that I am. And Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And, and the Lord introduced himself to Moses as I am that I am. And so we, we know that God says about himself, I am, I exist. I just am. I exist. You keep this verse up. Your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I, and, and, and God says, I am. And Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so our faith is our faith is that we are not we do, but we are not I do, but I am. Your faith becomes your faith rests in existing, in being who God said you are and accepting that you are who God said you are. Your faith rests in that. And what made you? You what made you what made you to be who you are? You 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 are you are who you are because of the power of God. He did it. And we'll see later, not today, more in more depth, but we'll see later that the power of God is the cross. The cross is the power of God. So when Jesus said it is finished, that symbolizes the cross. It is finished. The cross means it's the finished work of God. God has finished it. I am in the cross. This is what it means to rest. I am in the cross. I am a finished work because of the cross. I am who God said I am because of the cross. I am powerful because of the cross. I am more than a conqueror because of the cross. I am the head and not the tail because of the cross. I am blessed coming in and going out because of the cross. I am blessed and redeemed from the curse because of the cross. And so therefore I find rest or I am because of the cross. So your faith needs to be in what you are because of the cross. That's what it means when he says, my faith or your faith would rest in the in the power of God. So your faith needs to be that you are. Here's what here's what it looks like to believe that I am what God said I am because of the cross. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might because of the cross. I am healed because of the cross. I am forgiven because of the cross. I am a royal priesthood, a holy people. I am chosen and beloved of God because of the cross. You see, this is where this is what it means that faith rests. Faith rests in the power of God or your faith is in the fact that you are what you are. You are what God says you are because of the cross. So now where's your faith? Your faith is in the cross. And what happens? You become what God said you are. What happens? You have confidence in who you are. You have confidence in what God's done for you. You have confidence in in claiming or it's the wrong word, I guess. But you have confidence in receiving what God said is yours in Christ. 
That's what faith looks like. It's it's not a struggle like some people have giant faith and other people have little faith. All you need is a mustard seed of faith and a mustard seed is uh, the, the promise of Jesus when he said it is finished. That's your mustard seed of faith. You don't need giant faith. You just need a mustard seed. And what is a mustard seed? It's just the simple words that Jesus spoke. It is finished. That's enough for any of us. That's how that's all the faith you need. That's that's simply that's what it means to rest in the power of God. Um, So the word rest there to be I am, I exist. Rest comes from being who God said you are. And that comes from the power of God and the power of God is the cross. And in fact, he says that in first Corinthians, chapter one, that the power of God, the cross is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. Now, go over with me real quick, since we have a few more minutes to Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28. Now, Jesus says here in Matthew 11, 28, some words that most of us have heard before. But he says, look, um, come to me, right? All who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give come to me and I will give you rest and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Boy, that's that's something to rest in (laughs) his yoke is easy. His burden is light that this Christian life is not the struggle that we think it is, is not. Look, life is a struggle, but Christianity is not the Christianity is not a struggle unless you believe lies. The struggle is to overcome those lies and believe the truth. That's the that's where the struggle is, because you, you will find peace and strength and power when you believe that you are who God said you are because of the cross. So notice that and, and, and if you can, if you look at Mark, chapter four, I want to just I'm going to I want you to see some things from Matthew 11. But in Mark, chapter four, verse thirty nine, when Jesus spoke to the sea and he said and to the winds, he said, peace, be still. And it says, and the wind died down. And there was a great calm in verse thirty nine of Mark four. And the wind died down and there was a great calm, a great calm. This is this is this is the kind of peace and this is the kind of of existence that God wants you to have in your life. Look, he says there was a great calm. Um, Is there a great calm in your life right now? Look. I know there is not great calm in the world today and there may not be great calm in your situation. But where the great calm can exist is in your soul. He said you'll find rest for your soul. So there's a great calm that God wants you to have in your soul, because when there's calm in your soul, there's calm in your life. When you're when there's calm in your soul, you can calm the raging storms of life. When there's calm in your in your soul, you're not bothered by the storms of life. Now, see, Jesus had calm in his soul. 
he was cool, right? He had he was he had a cool soul. He was everything was cool in his soul. He, He had calm in his soul. And so what was he doing when the storm hit? He didn't say, oh, this storm is going to disrupt my calm. No, the storm hit in the boat and Jesus was sleeping in the storm. No, nothing the storm could do could upset Jesus calm. He had great calm in his soul and it was not contingent upon. It did not hinge upon. It was not dependent upon the storms or no storms around him. The the calm in his life was in his soul. And so when he said, peace, be still, hush, be still, peace, be still to the storm, when he said, peace, be still to the storm, he was speaking from the condition of his soul and it affected the things around him. So when we think, oh, things are so things are so stormy and it's just it's it's affecting me. So I got to try to calm the storm so that it won't affect me anymore. No, it's that's the opposite. You have to be you have to you have to have a calm soul inside and it won't and it and the storm won't affect it. But your calm soul will affect the storm rather than the storm affecting your calm. That's how it works. That's how it worked for Jesus. And that's he's given you that. He said, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I'll give you this great calm. You'll find this great calm for your soul, he says in verse 28 of Matthew 11. You'll find this great calm for your soul. I'll give you this great calm in your soul. How does how does that great calm come? I'll get to that in a moment, but I want you to just see it comes when you realize that this rest that God gives in Matthew eleven twenty eight when he says, I will give you rest that I will give you that 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 makes it a gift. I will give you rest. I will I, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I'm not going to sell it to you. I'm not going to trade you for it. I'm not going to make you work for it, earn it or deserve it. I will give you this rest. See, just me saying these things to you right now brings you more peace than you had all day. Not because I'm saying them, but because the word of God brings peace and it brings calm. The truth makes you free. Scripture taught incorrectly does not make you free because it's not the truth. Scripture must be taught correctly to be the truth that makes you free. And that's what plagues much of Christianity is a misunderstanding of Scripture because of misunderstanding of God's nature, because of misunderstanding of the power of God, which is the cross. And everything hinges upon the cross, not upon your faith, but upon the cross. And your faith rests. Your faith is your faith exists because of the power of God, not because you're trying so hard to believe. The cross gave birth to your faith. What is my faith in? It's in the cross. It's in what Jesus did. It's not in anything else. It's not in my positivity. It's not in my strength. It's not in my gifts. It's not in my calling. My faith is in the cross and only the cross. Because that's the power of God. And that's where I I exist because of the cross. I am because of the cross. I rest because of the cross. 
Does this make any sense to anybody? I will give you rest, Jesus said. Notice, I will give you rest. If if his hands give it, if his hands give it, then that ensures you're getting it. I will give you. He doesn't say I'm thinking about this. I'm negotiating with the father on this deal, whether I'm giving you. I'm looking at your life. I'm evaluating your sins. I'm I'm considering. No, if his hand is giving it and it is, he said, I will give you rest. It's a promise. I will give you rest. It's a promise. I will give you rest. It's a promise. If his hand gives it, then that ensures you getting it. Jesus does not say, I will send you rest. Look, if he sends you rest, it could get lost with UPS. He's not sending it to you. He gives it to you. He does not say, I'll send an angel to bring you rest. He might that angel might mistake you for someone else and you're in trouble. He doesn't send an angel to do it. He said, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. It is his own hands put into your hands, put into your heart, and there will be no missing of the gift that he gives. He will do it. See, this is where you find rest in knowing he's giving it to you, not you have to obtain it. You have to work for it. You have to make promises to be worthy of it. You have to be holy enough to be worthy of it. Now, look, let me say a couple things. What does Jesus give us rest from? Look at what he says in Hebrews 12 two. in Hebrews 12 two, He said. Hebrews 12 two, we're almost done here, but just let me finish this. He says, what 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 does he give us rest from Hebrews 12, verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Verse three, look at what he says and has sat down at the right hand of the father. Now, he says, looking unto Jesus and then he says, lest you become weary. If you go on in this passage, he says, looking unto Jesus, lest you become weary, he said, lest you become weary from and discouraged in your souls. He said you will become weary in verse three. He says, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart or grow weary in verse three and be discouraged in your soul. So where what does Jesus give us rest from? He gives us rest from being weary in our souls. He gives us rest in our minds. You know, your mind is what keeps you up at night. Nothing else does. It's all the activity in your mind. It's not even your body. It's your mind. Your body can your mind can control your body. You don't need to let your body control your mind. Your mind can control your body. When you have rest in your mind, it'll hit your body too. rest in our minds. This is what he gives us. He gives us rest in our souls. The soul, when it's weary, makes bad decisions, gets us caught up in bad relationships, gets us giving up easily. It gets us discouraged. But he because of the cross, he said, what where does this where does this uh, uh, this ability to to not get weary and discouraged, he says, you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Why? Because of you're not looking at verse two because you're not you don't have your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Look at what he says. He said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and finisher of your faith. He's the author and the finisher. So he starts it, he finishes it. What's our part? Just be. Because of the cross, I am. Because of the cross, I exist. Because of the cross, that's where your faith rests. What's your part? Just be because of the cross. Find your existence because of the cross. Find your salvation because of the cross. Find your happiness because of the cross. It's it's just putting your trust in the cross and what Jesus did on it. That's where that's how our faith finds rest. Look, he gives us rest in our minds. He gives us rest in our conscience, our conscience. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 22 talks about our conscience. And he says your conscience has been. Well, it's in fact, it says it really clearly. It says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of what he says. Let us draw near in verse 22, the beginning of verse 22. If you guys can put that up there, the beginning of verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of what full assurance of what faith. So what causes your faith to have full assurance? Here's what it here's what causes your faith to have full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. What are our hearts sprinkled with? The blood of Jesus. The whole chapter is talking about the blood of Jesus. And it's his blood that cleanses you from an evil conscience. Listen, there is nothing harder to do than to hear the voice of God when your conscience is guilty, to hear the voice of God when your heart is condemning you. And that's why we need to know when our heart condemns us. The Bible says God is greater than our heart. Our faith needs to be in God, not in our heart. Our heart condemns us. But God has already paid for that thing that we did that is beating us up. Does this make any sense? He look, he's greater than our heart. He paid for the sin. He paid for the thing you did yesterday, the thing you would do tomorrow. He already paid for it. And so you don't have to live in an evil conscience and a guilty conscience because that's where that's where you get weary. That's how you get weary. He gives you rest in your conscience. You don't have to fight, fight, fight to make sure your conscience is clear. Your conscience is clear. Your conscience is clear. Jesus has washed away your conscience. I'm not saying that you shouldn't apologize to somebody if you hurt them. I'm not saying that you shouldn't admit it if you've done it. What I'm saying is that's not how you get a good conscience. You don't get a good conscience through you purging yourself. You get a good conscience by accepting the blood washing of the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience. And this is where you find rest. Otherwise, if your rest is in you, making sure you your conscience is always pure, you are in trouble because you will be weary all the time because you'll constantly be. Oh, I got to get that right. I got to change that. I got to fix that. I got to apologize for that. I got to fix it. I'll never have rest until I get my conscience. He gives you rest to a weary conscience. He gives rest to your conscience. Just receive it because of his precious blood. Um, And he gives us rest in our heart. Is your heart heavy? Is your heart burdened? Is your heart broken? Well, Luke 418 says Jesus heals the heart. He heals the broken hearted, the heavy hearted, the burdened heart. So how do we receive this rest? Hebrews 4, 9 says there remains therefore rest for the people of God. 
Christ is this rest. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is the rest. He is Jesus Christ is our rest. He is the Sabbath. The Bible says, keep holy the Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments. Keep holy the Sabbath. Jesus is the Sabbath. In other words, he is the he is what gives us rest. Christ redeems us and gives us rest. Taking a day off does not redeem you. It might give you some time to get your bills straightened out and do some shopping. But if anything, it it makes you weary because you got to do all you got to catch up on everything on your day off for the stuff that you couldn't do while you were working. So but those still it's important and we need that. But that's not what gives you rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. And it's the only way to keep the Sabbath. It's not by keeping it's not by finding rest in a day. It's finding rest in the morning star. Jesus It's finding rest in the 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 alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. How does it where do we get this rest from? What 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 are we resting from? The guilt of sin. The power of sin, the struggle to beat sin, the struggle to beat the enemy, the struggle to be pleasing to God, the struggle to be loved. The cross ends all these struggles. That's where you find rest, because what makes you weary is fighting sin, struggling to beat it, struggling to beat the devil, struggling to be pleasing to God, struggling to be loved by God. The cross is the end of all that struggle. That's why he said it is finished. When I thought about if there were some concluding thoughts to what what would it take for me to really find rest in my life? What what do I have to believe? What do what do I need to believe to find true rest? And I just wrote down these three things and I'll close with these for you. Three things to believe that will bring you true rest. Number one, it is finished. Jesus did it all, all the paying, all the exchange, sin, sickness, curse, all of it. Jesus finished it. It is finished. So believing that brings me true rest. Secondly, that God is my source. This is the second thing that brings me true rest. God is my source. You know, if I trust God as my source, I don't have to strive and struggle to pay my bills and have my needs met. I don't have to steal. If God if if my God shall supply all my need, then I I lose the temptation to steal. Right. Why do I need to if God will supply all my need? God is our source. This will bring you rest when you really believe God is your source. And you can go to the verse in Philippians 419 or many verses that show God's provision, that show God always coming through for his people. And it was all because God wanted to show himself faithful, not because they showed themselves faithful or deserving of God's provision. And thirdly, that we already mentioned it, but I believe that he's watching over his word to perform it like he's watching over his word. So all I need to do is put him in remembrance of his word. And I don't even need to do that. He's going to do it. He's watching over his word, whether I put in remembrance of it or not. But it's going to affect me. It's going to affect my soul when I remind myself what the word of God says and what God is watching over to perform. 
God said he's faithful to who began a good work in me. He'll finish it. So, Lord, here's this verse. And Greg, here's this verse. I got to tell myself that it's not I'm not trying to convince God anything. If anything, I need to I need to convince my own mind. He's watching. He's watching over his word to perform it. What word? Well, the word that says he began a good work in me and he'll finish it. The word that says by his stripes, I'm healed. The word that says my kids will grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they'll serve God all the days of their life. Those promises, those words that God has given us in Scripture and sworn by his blood to fulfill. He's watching over those words to perform them. I just need to remind myself bring them up into the atmosphere through prayer, bring them to God, let him assign some angels to it. I don't I don't care how he does it. He's just going to do it some way. He's going to assign an angel to it. He's going to send manna out of heaven. He's going to you know, he's going to move this and move that and move things around and rearrange stuff. And he's going to find a way because he's watching over his word to perform it. That's what that's what faith looks like. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I hope you're encouraged by today's message. And listen, if you're in the Chicago area, I want to meet you. You can join me every Sunday at Life Changers Church in Hoffman Estates or in downtown Chicago. If you're looking for a church home or maybe just want to know more about God, I would love for you to be my guest this Sunday. You can find our service times and locations at lifechangeschurch.com and you can even plan your visit there. Our team will host you and make you feel right at home. For anyone else listening around the country and around the world, you can always join me every Sunday online. Be a part of our online church community at lifechangerschurch.com or on Facebook and YouTube. I hope to see you this Sunday. God bless.